Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to For Fox Sake, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Katie, and the Florida manatee to my right is Ellen. I'm not a manatee, I'm a womanatee. I hate you. Oh, the humanity. Oh, for fuck's sake. Ellen, can you just move it along? Okay, fine. Last week, we covered the second half of Chapter 16 in the Hogshead and the corresponding film scenes. Some of the future members of Dumbledore's army engaged the Golden Trio in multiple awkward rounds of who's on first, trying to wheedle more information about Voldemort's return. Zachariah Smith attempts to engage Harry in a traumatic recollection of Diggory's death. Hermione tries to engage everyone into committing to learning proper defense against the Dark Arts. Susan Bones actually engages everyone in a discussion about all the badass things that Harry has done before Harry's self-deprecating nature knocks them off topic. Fred and George want to engage Zacharias in an ear cleaning before Hermione brings the topic back around to logistics and they settle on meeting once a week before reluctantly signing a paper agreeing to keep it a secret. And after everyone leaves, Harry, Ron, and Hermione engage each other in a conversation about teenage dating, which ends with Ron being an insanely overprotective older brother and Harry floating on cloud nine with his awkward boner. During episode 147, Choner Boner, our Potter pondering was, what did you imagine Michael Corner to look like when Hermione described him as the Dark One? Personally, I just kind of thought that meant he was like in shadow at first. (laughs) When I first read it, I was like, oh, he's like in the corner somewhere, which was funny because he's Michael Corner and nobody puts Michael Corner in a corner. I think you mean everybody puts Michael Corner in a corner. Probably. Just saying. But no, it was explained to me later on that the dark one is usually used to describe darker skin. And that made more sense to me than just, he's in the shadows, because that's weird. Well, like I said in the episode, I thought he was just emo or something, like dark-haired and emo, so... (laughs) He's just the goth student. (laughs) But yeah, that was my first thought. Hi, friends. It's Juliana with this week's Potter Pondering. When I first read the description about Michael Corner, I thought they were just describing his hair, that his hair was a dark color. But thinking about it now, they might have been referring to his skin color as well. So I'm not sure. Anyway, have a good day. Hey, Ellen. Hey, Katie. Jackson here with this week's Punnet Pondering. So what did I think when I first read Michael Corner described as the dark one? Well, to be honest, I didn't really register it when the first time I read it, and this is the first time I've ever thought about it. And honestly, I don't know. It could be that compared to the others, he's got darker hair, or he could be a tall, dark, and handsome kid. Don't know. Honestly, it's a bit of a mystery. <laughs> yeah, I just think it could be either. I don't really think it's one that can be answered. Hi, Ellen and Katie. This is Ashley with this week's Potter Pondering. How did I imagine Michael Corner when Hermione described him as the dark one in the book? Honestly, I don't really remember. I was a 
kid when I read most of the books, with the exception of the last one. I was grown when that came out, but I would love for it to be because he was black, but because I hold Hermione so dear to my heart, she would never just describe a black person as, air quotes, the dark one. Disrespectful, but... It was most likely because of maybe his hair color and his style could have been a bit grunge and, you know, resulted to the dark one because, you know, Ron is a big ass hater for anybody that Jenny showed interest in pretty much. But yeah, I would love for him to be black, but that's probably not the case. It's just Ron being a big ass hater, you know. Hey, this is Tom. I don't know if I'm late for the ponder pottering, but my idea on Michael Corner was that, well, I was, when first reading, I was really confused. So I was just like, yeah, she's Jenny's boyfriend. He's important. They will give a better description later. And then they broke up and we never heard from him again. So I was like, yeah, I guess it's not important. Bye. Hi, this is Kendra. I'm calling in my Potter pondering question was, what did I imagine Michael to look like when Hermione described him as the dark one? You know, honestly, I heard that and instantly just thought he had dark hair. Now that you guys bring it up, I think about it more and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so many options. But really, when I read it, I simply went with maybe tall, dark, and handsome, although I don't really assume him to be handsome. But that's kind of where my thoughts went. All right, thanks. Thank you so much for your responses. Our trivia question last week was, what is Professor Grubbly Plank's first name? Professor Grubbly Plank's first name is Wilhelmina. Or Wilhelmina. Wilhelmina. Congratulations goes to Mike Riley. Woohoo! This was actually an extremely close one between Mike and Megan. Mm-hmm. Really, it was less than a minute between their answers, and I spent about 10 minutes going back and forth between the post and the comments to see who actually did post first. Mike honestly won by seconds. So I'm really wondering who's going to have the faster internet and get it this week. We shall see. For now, let's dive into the first half of Chapter 17, Educational Decree Number 24, and the barely, honestly not really, corresponding film scenes. Chapter 17, Educational Decree Number 24, Part 1 Harry is happier than he has been all term. He and Ron spend Sunday catching up on their homework, which isn't exactly fun, but since the weather is agreeable, they get to do it in the shade of a large beech tree, rather than in the common room. Hermione is all caught up on her work, but joins them and works on elf hats and scarves. Knowing they are doing something to resist umbrage, and the ministry is a large part of Harry's good mood, but so is seeing all the people who believed in him, especially Cho Chang, who praised his performance in the Triwizard Tournament. All of this keeps him cheerful through Monday morning, despite the prospect of his least favorite class. That is, until he and Ron head down to the dormitory and find a group of people gathered around the notice board where a very large sign reads, By order of the High Inquisitor of Hogwarts, all student organizations, societies, teams, groups, and clubs are henceforth disbanded. An organization, society, team, group, or club is hereby defined as a regular meeting of three or more students. Permission to reform may be sought from the High Inquisitor, Professor Umbridge. 
no student organization, society, team, group, or club may exist without the knowledge and approval of the High Inquisitor. Any student found to have formed or to belong to an organization, society, team, group, or club that has not been approved by the High Inquisitor will be expelled. The above is in accordance with Educational Decree Number 24. It is signed by Dolores Jane Umbridge. Several nearby students are worried that it means they're going to shut down Gobstone's club, but Ron darkly tells them he figures they will be fine before telling Harry that he doesn't think they will be as lucky. The happiness in Harry starts to drain as his hands ball into fists, and he says that he is sure this isn't a coincidence, and she knows. Ron doesn't think she can know, but Harry points out that people were listening in, and they don't know if all the people who turned up are trustworthy. Ron immediately mentions Zacharias Smith and also says that he thought Michael Corner had a really shifty look. But Harry has moved on, wondering if Hermione has seen it yet. Ron suggests they go tell her and leads the way through a door and up the stairs to the girls' dormitories. On the sixth step, with a loud sound, the stairs smooth themselves out into a stone slide and send Ron toppling back down to the bottom. A couple of fourth-year girls slide down the stairs as well, gleefully wondering who tried to get up to the girls' dormitories. A disheveled Ron admits that it was him, saying that he didn't realize that would happen and that it isn't fair since Hermione has been to their dormitories. At this point, Hermione slides down the stairs herself and explains that it's an old-fashioned rule, but Hogwarts A History states that the founders thought boys were less trustworthy than girls. She then asks them why they were trying to get up there, and Ron drags her over to the notice board. As she reads the notice, her expression becomes stony, and Ron angrily says that someone must have blabbed. When Hermione insists that they can't have done, he begins to call her naive, but Hermione cuts him off to explain that they literally can't because she put a jinx on the parchment they signed and if anyone runs off to tell Umbridge, they will know. Ron asks what'll happen to them and she simply says that it'll make Eloise Midgen's acne look like a couple acute freckles. She then tells them that they should head down to breakfast and see what others think, wondering if the same notice has been put up in all the houses. It is immediately apparent by the buzz in the Great Hall that it was. The trio have barely taken their seats when Neville, Dean, Fred, George, and Ginny approach them, asking if they've seen, wondering if she knows, and concerned about what they're going to do. Harry quietly assures them that they're going to do it anyway, which makes George beam, though Fred wants to know if that also applies to prefects. Hermione coolly says, of course, but the conversation is cut off when Ron mentions that Ernie, Hannah, the Ravenclaw boys, and Smith are all heading towards them, and no one is looking very spotty. Hermione is alarmed at how suspicious it will look and begins waving and mouthing at them to sit back down. Ginny exasperatedly says that she'll tell Michael and hurries off towards the Ravenclaw table. Harry watches her leave and notices Cho and her curly-haired friend from the Hogshead, worrying that this might scare her off from meeting them again. As if this isn't all bad enough, the full repercussions of the notice are realized when Angelina finds them on their way out of the Great Hall. At first, Harry thinks she's concerned about their defense against the dark arts extracurriculars, but she quickly explains that Umbridge is including Quidditch in this too. 
She begs Harry to keep his temper with her, and he promises that he will behave himself. Ron expects that Umbridge will be observing Ben, since she hasn't yet, but they arrive at History of Magic to only find their ghost professor. Harry can't focus at all and doodles idly on his parchment, ignoring Hermione's glares and nudges until a particularly sharp poke makes him look up angrily. At his what, Hermione simply points to the window where Hedwig is perched on the narrow ledge, letter tied to her leg. Harry doesn't understand why she didn't deliver the letter at breakfast, but opens the window to retrieve it. Instead of holding out her leg for Harry to take it, she hops in through the window and hoots somberly. Harry closes the window and as he goes to remove the letter, he notices that one of her wings is bent at an odd angle. He whispers to Ron and Hermione that she's hurt, gesturing towards her wing, which causes Hedwig to jump and gaze at him reproachfully. Harry loudly interrupts Professor Binns to say he isn't feeling well. The ghost is confused and repeats this. Harry stands, hiding Hedwig behind his back, and again says he doesn't feel well and that he needs to go to the hospital wing. Professor Binns agrees, calling Harry Perkins, and Harry rushes out into the corridor. Once outside, he realizes he isn't sure who to take Hedwig to since his first choice would have been Hagrid. He decides to take her to Grubbly Plank, and when he doesn't see any sign of her near Hagrid's hut, he decides to try the staff room. The two stone gargoyles flanking the door give him a hard time about being out of class, but he tells them it's urgent and knocks on the door. McGonagall answers and immediately thinks he's been given another detention, but Harry explains that he's looking for Professor Grubblyplank since his owl has been injured. Grubblyplank overhears and comes forward, smoking a pipe and holding a copy of the Daily Prophet. She takes Hedwig and begins to say it looks like something has attacked her, but she doesn't know what it would be since Hagrid has the Hogwarts Thestrals well-trained to not touch owls. Harry doesn't know or care what Thestrals are, only concerned about Hedwig, but McGonagall asks him how far she has traveled. He knows when he says from London that she will understand that to mean number 12 Grimmauld Place. Grubbly Plank tells Harry that she should be able to sort this out and that his owl shouldn't be flying long distances for a few days at least. Harry thanks her right as the bell rings, but McGonagall stops both of them, telling Wilhelmina to give Harry his letter. Grubbly Plank hands it over and then turns away with Hedwig, who is looking at Harry in disbelief that he would give her away. He feels a little guilty, but turns to leave before McGonagall calls him back. She reminds him that the channels of communication in and out of Hogwarts are being watched, and nods him away as the students begin moving towards them through the corridor. He joins the crowd, finds Ron and Hermione, and opens that letter to find a message in Sirius's handwriting. Today, same time, same place. Hermione asks if Hedwig is okay, and Ron wonders where he took her. Harry explains that he took her to Grubbly Plank, then fills them in on what McGonagall said, surprised when neither of them look shocked. Hermione tells him that she was just saying she thought someone may have tried to intercept Hedwig, since she's never been hurt on a flight before. Ron wonders who the letter was from, and Harry quietly tells him Snuffles. They figure that same time, same place means the fire in the common room, and Hermione is concerned that someone else read the note. Harry points out that it was still sealed, but Hermione reminds him that it wouldn't be too difficult to reseal a scroll with magic. She's worried that they might be monitoring the flu network, but doesn't know how they can warn Sirius about what happened without that being intercepted, too. The movie section picks up as Harry, Hermione, and the Weasleys are returning to the castle after their trip to Hogsmeade. 
Harry is explaining what they need in a place to practice, and the camera zooms up the portcullis to an opening above it, where Umbridge is standing and watching. Filch walks up behind her and stands next to her as the two have a whispered conversation. The scene then cuts to Filch hammering Educational Decree number 68 on the wall before shifting to show the plaque as Umbridge reads it aloud in voiceover. All student organizations are henceforth disbanded. Any student in noncompliance will be expelled. The camera cuts again to a dejected Neville walking through the corridor as Crab and Goyle deliberately bump into him and tell him to watch where he is going. That's it. Yep, that's it. But it does give us a lot to discuss. It does. <laughs> it does. Namely, what's been left out. Because <laughs> it's most of it. Mm-hmm. And it somehow gets the same, well, one thing across. Yeah, you get one plot point across. Sure. Yeah. But also in a different way, which we'll get to. Well, yeah, there's that too. So the book chapter starts off with the rest of the weekend after they have their first Defense Against the Dark Arts meeting to determine the future of the meetings. Mm -hmm. But Harry actually feels somewhat supported by a good chunk of his classmates at this point. And more importantly, by Cho Chang. Ah, Cho Chang. On top of that, they actually have a little bit of time to catch up on homework, which isn't exactly happy news, but... I mean, it's something. It's definitely better than drowning in it. Yeah. And not getting to sleep or eat. Or detention with Umbridge or... Oh, God, everything's better than that. I mean, it's got to kind of make him feel a little bit more normal than the whole rest of this year has been so far. The whole two weeks or so? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. It's only been like a goddamn week. Whereas in the movie, it's already fucking Christmas. Right. But sure. <laughs> Plus, another bonus is because it's not already Christmas, the weather's really nice and they get to do their work outside. Mm-hmm. And then the key thing here, which, I mean, honestly, for Harry, it's still Cho Chang, <laughs> but it's also knowing that they're doing something to resist Umbridge and the Ministry. Yeah. That feeling of being a rebel and shit. Being a rebel. Mm -hmm. A rebel with a cause. We about to fuck shit up. Oh, Yeah. They showed up to learn defense against the dark arts and chew gum, and they're all out of gum. <laughs> but this keeps Harry in a good mood up to Monday morning when it is abruptly ended because there's a notice on the board that reads, By order of the High Inquisitor of Hogwarts, all student organizations, societies, teams, groups, and clubs are henceforth disbanded. An organization, society, team, group, or club is hereby defined as a regular meeting of three or more students, which literally just means Harry, Ron, and Hermione can't just hang out. Basically, yes. <laughs> Fred, George, and Lee Jordan can't just hang out. Nope. What a bitch. Dean, Seamus, and Neville. Not so much. But then it goes on to say that they can get permission to reform these organizations, society, teams, groups, or clubs, but that if they exist without knowledge or permission... They're going to end up getting expelled. No warnings. No warning. No detention. Just expelled. Just fuck off. And then, of course, this is in accordance with Educational Decree number 24 and signed by Pepto Bitchmall. I think she actually wrote that on there, too. It wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> I bet she writes in a pink pen. Oh, you... Well, a pink quill. <laughs> well, she had those pens on her desk, though. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> But definitely pink feathers and pink ink, for yes. sure. For oh, sure. Yeah. If it's not blood. Yeah. But she doesn't do that to herself. Yeah, you know it's the blood of other students. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> she definitely has a quill that allows her to cut into the hands of other students while she's writing. Yeah. That's a thing, too. She probably invented it herself. Good old Elizabeth Bathory right here. <laughs> <laughs> What's super adorable is there's some younger kids that are looking at this notice and really worried it means they're not going to get to have Gobstones Club anymore. That's adorable. I don't think that's the problem, kiddos. Yeah, your little Gobstones Club is safe, guys. Which is essentially what Ron tells him before turning to Harry and being like, I don't think that's the case for us, though. No. <laughs> Ron's just like, you guys will be fine. We, however, are fucked. Yeah. <laughs> and this is the pin in Harry's happiness bubble. Mm -hmm. It's just, Pop, well, this fucking sucks. He also doesn't think this is a coincidence at all. You'd have to be, like, more oblivious than Harry not to figure that out. Especially since Harry figured it out. Exactly. And he's normally not that aware of things around no. him. No, boy's not in Ravenclaw. Definitely not. Mm -mm. And then there's Ron, who is also a little bit oblivious and is just like, but I don't see how she could know. Mm, buddy. Buddy. <laughs> Harry's just like, yeah, but there were people in the bar listening and we honestly don't know how trustworthy the people who showed up are. Yeah. Which, of course, makes Ron immediately be like, oh, that's Zachariah Smith. That's Zachariah Smith. And I thought that Michael Corner looked super shifty. Well, he was in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> that emo look of his. Just hanging out in the shadows. That I've... dark brown hair. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> but Harry is now more concerned about whether or not Hermione knows that this notice is there. Mm -hmm. So Ron's like, well, let's go and tell her. And <laughs> And he starts to make his way up to the girls' dormitory, but doesn't make it past step number six before the stairs flatten themselves out into essentially a stone slide. Mm -hmm. And he just goes zooming back down to the bottom. And I don't think that this was a graceful thing for him at all. He actually like <laughs> runs in place trying to keep moving for a while. <laughs> it just sounds so cartoonish. Yeah. And I would have loved to see a live action version of this acted out. Right. It's super disappointing to me that it wasn't. Yeah. Because they love the physical comedy and the book writes it for them. And they're like, eh. Like, we can come up with better than that. Can they, though? No, they can't. That's the point. <laughs> not this for sure. This is definitely mm -mm. a good one. Just him <laughs> pumping his arms, trying to not fall. I imagine, like, when he fell, there was just a cloud of Ron-shaped smoke. Yes, I love that. In his wake. <laughs> and then a couple of fourth-year girls slide down the steps, just gleefully. Wee! <laughs> Somebody tried to get up into the girls' dormitory. I wonder who that was. <laughs> and this disheveled Ron's just like, that was me. I didn't know that was going to happen. This isn't fair. Hermione's <laughs> been in our dorm. I mean, apparently girls can be trusted more than boys. That's exactly what Hermione says, because she slides down the stairs herself at this point mm -hmm. and informs them that in Hogwarts, a history, it says that the founders found boys to be less trustworthy than girls. Which I think is really interesting. Yeah. And I actually want to make this our Potter pondering because, yes, it is old-fashioned. Mm-hmm. But do people actually really think that girls are more trustworthy? I mean, I think it kind of goes along a little bit with the girls mature faster than boys kind of thing. So... Which I don't know about you, but that might make me more inclined to sneak up to the boys' dormitory. Well, I mean, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. However, I also just kind of think that women mature faster than guys, so they get the hormones, but they also have, like, the brains behind it, whereas guys get the hormones, and those are just driving everything. True. So it's not necessarily like, yeah, it's a stereotype, yeah, it's a thing, but 
I don't know. I kind of get it. <laughs> I mean, I kind of get it, too. I just think it's interesting and funny and want to know what other people think. It does make me wonder, too, though, about how long it takes for them to go back to being steps and how the girls get back up to their dorm when that happens. Right. Maybe they just have to try to walk up the steps yeah. and they turn back into them. And what happens if a girl and a boy tries to walk up at the same time and stuff like that? That's why I want this to be the Potter pondering. Yeah. I think it's interesting. You could actually go really deep with this pondering, but... Right? That's what she said. That's what they try. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, Hermione wants to know why they were even trying to get up there. So Ron drags her over to the notice board. And he's like, this, this is why. And she takes in the awfulness of this new decree and just kind of becomes very stony faced. Mm -hmm. Whereas Ron is just pissed off and he's like, someone must have blabbed. But Hermione's just like, no, they can't have done. Which makes Ron call her naive. Aw, of all people. And in the most opposite form of naive that Hermione could ever be, she explains, no, they literally can't have told because I put a jinx on the parchment they signed. And if anyone runs off to tell Umbridge, we're going, no. Mm -hmm. So not naive. No. <laughs> that no. is devious. That is the antithesis of naive exactly. right there. And Ron wants to know what's going to happen to him. And... Hermione just gives a very, well, mysterious, let's just say it'll make Eloise Midgen's acne look like a couple of cute freckles, which poor Eloise. She keeps getting thrown under the bus I know. I feel so bad for Eloise. But uh, yeah, that sounds pretty severe. But yeah, that does sound totally naive. Yeah. But then she suggests they go down to breakfast and see what everyone else thinks and was wondering if it's been put in all of the common rooms, which I think is pretty much a duh. Yeah. Which, the moment they walk into the Great Hall, they're like, yep, duh. Yeah. <laughs> because everybody's just like, <laughs> and they're immediately approached by Neville, Dean, Fred, George, and Ginny. Like, have you seen it? Do you mm -hmm. think she knows? What are we going to do? And Harry's just like, don't worry, we're going to do it anyway. <laughs> just chill out, guys. Exactly. And George smiles at this, but Fred's just like, oh, even the prefix? Scandal. <laughs> especially the prefix right that's exactly what hermione <laughs> says she's like of course stop mm -hmm. being a jerk to me because we have authority <laughs> if anything it's gonna help in this situation Duh. whatever and then this conversation gets cut off thankfully probably because there's some tension happening there when ron notices that ernie hannah the ravenclaw boys and zacharias are all coming towards them too and he also notices that nobody looks particularly spotty. So apparently none of them blabbed. Yep. But Hermione isn't thinking about this. She's just like, what the fuck are they doing? This is going to look super sus. They need to go yeah. sit down. And she's like, oh, sit down. Go. And she's like mouthing it to them and waving her arms and pointing back at the tables. Which, which also even more doesn't sus. look sus. <laughs> um, hello. I get your distress here, Hermione, but you're not helping anything. You're actually. not. <laughs> and Ginny keeps her head about her and is just like, oh, I'll go tell Michael and just makes her way towards them. Yes, yeah, she will. Which Harry watches her walk away, which I always thought was kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. But this just causes him to notice Cho Chang and get his little choner boner going on, mm -hmm. which is my new favorite phrase that Carly <laughs> came up with. But he sees Cho and her curly haired friend who we still have not actually been introduced to as Marietta at this point. Yeah. But... He sees them sitting at the Ravenclaw table and starts to worry that Cho's going to get scared off and not come back to the meetings. 
Oh, no. Which he was looking forward to having that opportunity to spend more time with her. Mm-hmm. So this is now a concern of his on top of everything else because, of course, Cho is just living rent-free in his head at this point. Yeah. Then if all of this isn't bad enough, they run into Angelina on their way out of the Great Hall and when she starts to express something to him, Harry's just like, don't worry, don't worry, we're still going to do it. And Angelina's just like, fine, whatever. No, but this includes Quidditch, too. <laughs> yeah. Let's focus on more important things, Harry. Right? Quidditch! And Harry's just like, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. It does. And she's just like, please, 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 please keep your temper with Umbridge. <laughs> we cannot give her any reason to not give us permission to reform. And Harry's just like, I will behave myself. I will. Mm -hmm. we're gonna get to play quidditch angelina it's okay i'll make sure i'll make sure the only way that this could have been like a worse threat to harry is if oliver was still there oh yeah <laughs> can you imagine him let's be honest though oliver wood would have absolutely gotten them banned forever with his reaction to this news well that's true <laughs> yeah oliver would definitely have gotten expelled <laughs> <laughs> fuck you we're gonna have quidditch practice anyway <laughs> Anyway, the Golden Trio make their way off to their first class, which is History of Magic. And they're expecting that Pepto Bitch Mall is going to be observing bins because she hasn't yet. But mm -hmm. like we mentioned before, I have a feeling she doesn't want to go anywhere near the ghost teacher. No. Nobody really does. Right? Yeah. Could you imagine her trying to fire him and send him evaluations and stuff? <laughs> I mean, I'd like to see it. Yeah. But I don't think she's going to do it. No. So obviously she's not there and Harry as you know par for the course can't focus in this class at all but it's worse than usual mm -hmm. and he just doodles on his parchment instead of taking notes which is probably also as per usual. Yeah. But this time he's even completely ignoring Hermione as she glares at him and nudges him and it isn't until she like gives him a really sharp poke in the ribs that he's just like what? <laughs> And in response, Hermione just points to the window where Hedwig is just perched on the little ledge. Got a letter and Harry's like, what? Are, why would you not have delivered that during breakfast like you always do? What is yeah. going on? But he goes and he opens the window for her, expecting that she's just going to stick her leg out so he can get the letter. But she hops in the room instead. Sure. And everybody's starting to get a little bit distracted. They're like, oh, I always loved that owl. And <laughs> she's so pretty. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You would think the excitement of seeing an owl randomly would wear off being at Hogwarts, but Hedwig is a very pretty one. So. Hedwig is a very pretty one, and she just interrupted a very boring class. Yes, exactly. They're absolutely looking for the extra distractions. Mm -hmm. But when he goes to retrieve the letter from her leg, he realizes that her wing is kind of bent at an odd angle. Hmm. And he whispers to Ron and Hermione that she's been hurt and tries to point to her wing but gets too close to it. And she just like ruffles her feathers and just gazes reproachfully at him because, you know, Hedwig's a sassy bitch. Yeah, exactly. And it hurts. There's that too. <laughs> <laughs> so being the good owl owner that Harry is, he just immediately jumps up and interrupts Professor Binns. I don't feel good. Gotta go to the hospital wing. <laughs> and he's like trying to hide Hedwig behind his back so he doesn't notice. I say, I bet that's working out real well. Luckily, it's Bins. It's Bins, and he's just super confused. Can't even remember Harry's name. Calls him Perkins, <laughs> but agrees that he can go to the hospital wing. So Harry just bolts. Mm -hmm. And when he gets out in the corridor, he's like, I don't 
know what to do. I would have taken her to Hagrid, but he's not here. So I guess maybe I can go to Grubbly Plank. And he looks out the window, doesn't see any sign of her near Hagrid's hut. So he's like, maybe she's in the staff room. Mm -hmm. And he makes his way there. And I never realized this before, but the staff room door is actually flanked by two gargoyles. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if they kind of guard it to keep kids from fucking with the staff room. Maybe. But they start giving him a hard time about being out of class. They call him Sonny Jim. And I just... (laughs) Another one of those moments where we didn't get to see any of the quirky magical things about the castle, really. Yeah. A lot of that just got streamlined right out of the movies. And it just would have been fun to see some talking gargoyles. These weren't the only ones. Especially talking gargoyles that say shit like Sonny Jim. Right? (laughs) And he's just like, this is urgent. They're like, oh, that put us in our place. Like the sarcasm about it (laughs) would have just been so much fun. So it turns out, Ellen, I'm not Ron. I'm a goddamn gargoyle. (laughs) Huh. The things you learn about yourself. (laughs) Harry ends up knocking on the door and McGonagall is in the staff room, so she's the one to answer it. And the moment she sees him, she's just like, fuck me, did you get another detention? (laughs) And he's just like, no, I'm looking for Professor Grubbly Plank. My owl's been injured. And he holds up Hedwig and... My owl. My owl. Owl hurts. And sure enough, she is in the staff room, and she overhears this, so she immediately comes forward. And again, the visual here, she comes forward smoking a pipe. And holding a copy of the Daily Prophet. And I just, I want this image of her smoking a pipe and bitching with McGonagall about the shit in the Daily Prophet. Because we already know that she's on Dumbledore's side. I'm going to go one further. I just wanted Grubbly Plank. Yeah. Honestly. We got so belked. Mm-hmm. But she takes Hedwig, looks her over, and says that it looks like something's attacked her. Which is weird because sometimes Thestrals will go after owls. But Hagrid has them well trained mm-hmm. to not touch them. Yeah. And Harry's just like, I don't know or fucking care what Thestrals are. Except for the fact that he does and just doesn't realize it. But right. I love that little touch. Right. And in the movie, he already does. So there's right. that. But we don't have this scene anyway. So it doesn't matter. We sure don't. <laughs> but he's just concerned about Hedwig. So Thestrals yeah. are the furthest thing from his mind. And he's just kind of brought back to the conversation when McGonagall asks him how far she's traveled. Mm -hmm. And when he says that she came from London, I think, he knows that McGonagall will know that means 12 Grimmel plays. Mm -hmm. Because who else? Yeah, he kind of fills her in without having to fully fill her in. Mm -hmm. And Grubbly Plank is positive that she'll be able to sort Hedwig out just fine and says, if nothing else, she should not be flying long distances for a few days. So Harry says thanks, and then the bell rings, and he starts to leave. But McGonagall's just like, wait, Wilhelmina, give Harry his letter. Which was our trivia question. That is the moment that they mention her first name. Mm-hmm. And Grubbly Plank, Wilhelmina, hands over the letter and then turns away with Hedwig, who just looks at Harry like, how the fuck are you giving me away right now? I'm your <laughs> owl. Why are you leaving me with this stranger? I trusted you, bitch. Yeah, I love her sassiness, mm-hmm. but... And this does make Harry feel a little guilty, but he also knows he's doing what he has to for her. Well, yeah. So he starts to leave again, and McGonagall calls him back again, but this time it's to remind him that communication in and out of Hogwarts is absolutely being monitored. Mm-hmm. And hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Yeah, like, 
be careful what you send if you send anything at all and just be aware of this mm-hmm. and then she just nods him away because now large groups of students are starting to come through the corridor and there's not much else she can say without possibly being overheard yes because a lot of times conversations within hogwarts are also being monitored there is that as well mm-hmm. so harry just joins the crowd and he finds ron and hermione amongst all of them and at this point he opens the letter and it's Sirius's handwriting, so though it's unsigned, it's pretty clear who it's from. Yeah. And he reads the words, today, same time, same place, which is always so very interesting to me because how does he know what day the owl is actually going to get the letter to him? Yeah. I mean, he could kind of go by a guesstimate, like if yeah. he sends it late at night the night before he could still say today because he knows it's gonna get there the next day right but i don't yeah but how long was she delayed does he just have to pop in the fire every night around midnight to make sure that he finds them i mean wouldn't be the first time that's true so there's that hermione having her priorities in order asks if hedwig's okay and ron wants to know where he took her so harry explains that he took her to grubbly plank because that's the only animal person there he knows anymore Mm mm-hmm and then lets them know what McGonagall said about the communications being monitored, which he is surprised to see that Ron and Hermione are not surprised. Yeah. And it turns out that they had just been talking about the fact that she thinks someone maybe tried to intercept Hedwig and that's what happened to her wing. Because mm-hmm. I have a feeling that that sassy little wonderful bitch would not let anyone get near her if she could help it. Oh, no, of course not. But she's never been hurt like that on a flight before. Yeah. In five years. Yeah. So this is definitely very sus. And it also ties it back into the fact that Filch was trying to get a hold of Harry's letter before he sent it. Mm-hmm. So this whole thing, and Hermione absolutely is smart enough to put that together. This whole thing is just screaming, suspicious. <laughs> I realized I sang that more than I screamed it, but you get the gist. I, I got what you were saying. I was picking up what you were throwing down. <laughs> Ron then asks who the letter was from, because apparently he didn't see it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Harry tells him Snuffles, because they use code words in the book. I the guess movie. they technically do say Padfoot in the movie, but... In Goblet of Fire, he writes a letter and literally writes Sirius Black on it's the outside true. of it. So it's true. <laughs> there's that. But he tells him it says same time, same place. And they figure that means the fire in the common room, mm-hmm. which makes Hermione concerned. If somebody else did read that note, are they going to be able to figure that out, too? I mean, I don't see how they could. Except that we find out next week that they do. Well, okay. <laughs> well fuck me. <laughs> and Harry, being non-Ravenclaw oblivious self, is just like, well, it was still sealed. Because there's no way people can use magic to reseal something. Right? (laughs) Which is exactly what Hermione says. And she's worried that monitoring communication also involves monitoring the flu network, which is what they use to communicate in the fireplace like that. So if they are monitoring it automatically Mm -hmm. and they have an inkling of something going on and they had an inkling because they were monitoring it before, unfortunately... There's a lot of trail left behind for them to pick up what's being put down. Yeah. Okay. So it's not as obvious as I was hoping. Yeah. (laughs) But she doesn't know how they can possibly warn Sirius about that without that communication being intercepted too. 
And would it get there on time? Exactly. Yeah. And since none of that happened in our super long movie section, we'll just talk about what did happen. (laughs) It started off with the trio plus the Weasleys getting back to Hogwarts Castle while Harry explains that everyone needs to figure out where the fuck we're going to do this practicing shit. Because, like... Where? Where, dude? And some of y'all bitches need to come up with some ideas as to where we can do that. Which is quite different from how the book had it since Mm -hmm. they had a few people throw out some suggestions and then we're like not really sure we'll come back to that yeah they were not really putting it on everybody else as much as this kind of made it seem yeah yes and no because it was just the group of them and jenny says shrieking shack that's not gonna work uh, i almost said chamber of secrets i'm like that's where the fucking should have done it We actually talked about that a little bit last week. Yeah. Because Carly mentioned that she was kind of disappointed that Ginny didn't suggest that. And I was just like, yeah, but that might have been really traumatizing for her. And then on one of the Harry Potter fan pages this morning, somebody else posed that exact same question. And I was like, we literally just talked about this. Yeah. (laughs) Because not only could that have possibly been traumatizing for Ginny and Harry. Yes. It's not exactly accessible. They had to use Fox to fly out of it the first time. And right? if I remember correctly, Ron and Hermione used brooms to get down and back Yeah, when they go for the Basilisk Fangs. Yeah, it's going to look a little sus if there's just a bunch of students like carrying their brooms down the hall when none of them are on the Quidditch team, aside from the Quidditch team. But... And they don't even necessarily have brooms, for one thing. There's that, too. Not to mention, it's going to be 28 people going into a girl's bathroom. Yeah. It's not accessible. No. It just doesn't work. No. Just doesn't work. But, I mean, hey, sure. (laughs) Private, yes. Probably big enough, too. Yeah, definitely. However, it's all flooded and shit down there. Like, it's damp and murky. You're gonna get a cold. (laughs) (laughs) That's my biggest worry. Better sniffly with the ability to defend yourself than healthy but dead. Right? (laughs) Are you healthy if you're dead? Well, remember how they get killed by Avada Kedavra? According to Muggle doctors, they look absolutely healthy aside from the fact that they're dead. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's what I was kind of referencing. Gotcha. Yeah. I see what you were throwing down there. I got it. Okay. Glad you're picking it up. Yeah. But we then take a trip upwards and we see Pepto Bitch Mall watching over the group as Filch walks up behind her and they start whispering some shit. I'm sure it's not sinister at all, though. Or it's entirely sinister. It's easy to confuse that with those two. I mean... That pink. That pink really makes her seem non-sinister. Yeah. And Phil's just such a kindly old man. He it's just is. really... It's understandable that you're sure it wasn't. And he didn't just weirdly, like, sniff a student earlier on. And, well, he did and, in the book, not in this well, movie. Not, but That's what I'm saying. He didn't do that, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just seems like, you know, meeting between friends. Right? Just... Hanging out, having some Darjeeling. Watching Good people time. walk back from Hogsmeade, you know. Sure. Just people watching. Normal pastimes. Yeah. No, it's totally fucking sinister. It's totally, it's totally fucking yeah. sinister. <laughs> and just to prove that point, we then get to see Filch once again going all Bob Vila. But I'm saying it Bob Vila, like Vila, like V E E L A. Vila. For fuck's sake. <laughs> You love it. I'm only saying that because I didn't think of it. Ha! But he's doing his thing and he's hanging up a new educational decree on the wall because they don't put him in the dorms, as far as we can tell. It's just that one big wall Yeah, of this is definitely a slight change. Mm-hmm. 
Which Pepto Bitch Mall herself gives us a voiceover explaining that she is now getting rid of all student extracurriculars. And apparently, you know, she's taking a page out of America's school system now. Yeah. yeah. That is another story that we're not going to get into, but no. I have thoughts. <laughs> but apparently that's what's happening. Mm -hmm. This is also basically the only ding that we get. Mm -hmm. And it isn't even really a ding. No. Because, yes, there is an educational decree that bans student extracurricular activities, though most of them can be reformed. Mm -hmm. However, they introduced it as educational decree number 68, when in the book, it's number 24. The movie does seem to just kind of give them arbitrary numbers to make it seem like there's more, maybe? That's what I figured it was, that... Because they showed such a time lapse of the streamlining, stupid montage scene, and all of a sudden it's Christmas yeah. time. <laughs> like it's snowing. I think because so much time went by before they introduced this decree that they wanted to show that with the numbers as well. True. Yeah, I can see that. But it bothers me. Bothers me too. It's the name of a chapter. Yeah. And you had to go and change the number. The way, I don't get it, but whatever. Yeah. Moving on. Meanwhile, Neville makes his way down the hall when Crab and Goyle remember that they hate him. Crab and Goyle, or as Carly decided to call them, Tweedle Dumb and Tweedle Douche. Not bad. I've always called him Tweedle D and Tweedle Dumbass, so. It really works, too. But then, yeah. Tweedle D is not as much of an insult. No. Maybe Tweedle Dumb and Tweedle Dumbass? Tweedle douche and Tweedle dumbass? Tweedle. Yeah. That combines the best of both. Yeah. Tweedle douche and Tweedle dumbass. I like it. It's harder to say, but I'll take it. But anyway, Tweedle douche and Tweedle dumbass decide to shoulder check him as they walk past, telling him to watch where he's fucking going. It cracks me up in an annoyed sort of way that yeah. they fucking run into him and tell him to watch where he's going. Like, it is 100% a Tweedle dumbass and Tweedle douche move. Well, I mean, it's just, yeah. They both know they did that on purpose. And then they had to have something to say afterwards, so... Did they, though? By bully standards, <laughs> yes. By the laws of bullying. Yeah, that's accurate. Yeah. But you know what's really fun? That's all. That's it. Yeah, that is where we cut off. That's where the movie scene ends. The first half of chapter 17. And that mm -hmm. is actually it for movie scenes. Yeah. We had, like, three or four whole lines. Yeah, it was fun, guys. And as there were minimal movie scenes, mm -hmm. we don't really have any new and returning actors to talk about either. So no. that just is what it is. And we can move on to our Potter pondering. Yep. Which is, what are your thoughts on the stairs to the girls' dormitory becoming a slide if a boy tries to go up them? Yeah, focus on the hilarity of it, the old-fashionedness of the expectation, mm -hmm. and just the general logistics. Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. Or call us at 216-526-6792 and leave your response as a voicemail. Make sure you start off telling us your name and then go into your answer. Don't forget, you can also stitch your response on TikTok. We really look forward to reading, hearing, and seeing them. This will bring us to our sorting hat story, which is from our newest patron, Amanda Catherine. Woohoo! Yay! I love her so much. She writes, I am a Hufflepuff. My wand is ebony wood with a unicorn core, 10 and a half inches, and supple flexibility. My Patronus is a raven. 
The Harry Potter books first came out when I was younger, and I wasn't much of a reader. I was lame and thought I was too cool for it. I've never been great at watching movies either. Thanks, ADHD and constant fatigue. I spent years listening to some of my closest friends telling me that I need to at least watch the movies because it's something I would totally love. I didn't actually watch the movies until recently, like within the last year and a half. The final push to watch the movies came from my coven. The group decided that it was a must. Since watching them, I've started listening to the audiobooks slash reading the books when I have the time. Thank you so much for sharing your Sorting Hat story with us, Amanda. Yes, thank you. And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at forfoxsakepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share with us. Or you can message it to us over social media. This week's trivia question is, how long does Snape tell Umbridge that he has been teaching at Hogwarts? The first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word hashtag, obviously, will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes or Facebook. Make sure to email us at forfoxsakepodcast at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we will get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at foxsakepod. Following us on Podbean at foxsakepod.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. You can also go to our website at forfoxsakepodcast.com to check out our For Fox Sake and Harry Potter related merchandise for sale. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we post our weekly podcast episodes, cooking show episodes, vlogs, bloopers, and other random videos. If you would like to support us as a patron, you can sign up on patreon.com slash foxsakepod. $2 and up a month will get you some awesome perks like For Fox Sake swag, access to patron-only Facebook groups, chats, our Discord channel, virtual hangouts, and more. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated, even if it's just telling your Harry Potter friends about us. And if you don't have any Harry Potter friends, there's another reason to join our Patreon because you will meet some of the best Harry Potter people ever. I mean, just the best people ever, really. There's that too. Period. End of sentence. And join us next week when we talk about the second half of Chapter 17, Educational Decree Number 24, and the absolutely no film scenes at all. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. And in the meantime... Keep calm and hairy on! Oh, for fuck's sake.